Hello again, and welcome to yet another edition of Is It Worth It? Now, if this is your first time listening to the show, I'm an offshoot of the RPG podcast, the retro RPG podcast, that you normally listen to, uh, except I don't always talk about RPGs. I talk about rare and or valuable games, typically both, and then I tell you whether or not I feel it's worth it for its current eBay price. Hi, I'm your host, Blaine J, and today... We're going to be talking about Eternal Darkness for the GameCube. Now, this is a game that has been on my list of I need to play for, gosh, I guess about 15 years, nearly 13, because this game came out in 2002, and I've been aware of it since about that time, and I've owned it for not quite that long, but quite a long time, and it's just been sitting on my shelf uh, awaiting to be played. I... I'd read a lot of reviews about it. I knew that this game was quite good. Um, it was just a matter of finding time to play it, um, you know, uh, and making myself do so, really. And uh, this podcast was a great opportunity for me to do that. So, um, as I said, this game was produced in 2002 by Silicon Knights. Um, it's a GameCube exclusive, so basically the only way you're going to play it is on the GameCube or through uh, emulation, I guess. Uh, it's basically a survival horror game, um, but it's it's a little different than your average uh, Resident Evil or Silent Hill in that it incorporates uh, both magic, which hasn't really been done before, to my knowledge, in a survival horror type game, and... Um, it has a sanity meter, which Nintendo actually patented. And the way the sanity meter works is as you encounter things throughout the game, various enemies or just disturbing type things, uh, your sanity meter will lower. And depending on which character you play as, you'll have a, you know, a higher or lower sanity. And once your sanity meter goes a little below half, you'll start noticing these very odd effects happening. Now what's really cool about that is there are character-specific um, sanity effects. There are effects that only happen if you do certain things and so on and so forth. Everything from your character will shrink down like itty-bitty-bitty or you'll enter a room and you'll be walking on the ceiling or you go to open a, a door that was previously unlocked and it's locked or, or you go to cast a spell and, and you blow up or uh, your head will just fall off and you can pick it up as an item and then uh, it appears in your inventory and it'll read to be or not to be, you know. Um, very interesting stuff. And I said even certain characters have specific um, things only to them and some are actually kind of relatively hard to get to because there's nothing in certain eras that'll really uh, test your sanity and you have to uh, do things to yourself via summoning monsters to be able to uh, to lose any sanity at all. So really cool stuff. I believe there's actually 32 different sanity effects throughout the game and uh, the way you really want to play this game, uh, it's very easy to heal your sanity once you learn a spell to do so. Um, it, but it makes the game not nearly as fun. The game is still really good. But it's a lot more fun to just kind of play with your sanity lower like that. And it also causes the screen to kind of skew and just random effects like uh, blood dripping from the walls and uh, you'll hear knocking and uh, a girl screaming out, you know, just creepy little things like that too that aren't counted amongst the 32 but just make uh, the game more 
the, the ambiance, you know, more uh, horror-themed, if you will. Anyway, you start the game playing as a character named Alexander Roviaz, uh, Rovius. Um, it's Savior spelled backwards, so that's awfully subtle on their part. But anyway, you get a phone call in the middle of the night, and it's a police officer, and he says, Hey, uh, I need you to come down here and identify this body of your uh, grandfather. We think it's your grandfather, and you're the only known... Um, relative of, of this man, uh, Edward Rovis, your grandfather. So uh, immediately, Alexandra, who's a chick, uh, she says, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go. And she comes in. And there's this neat little cut scene between this jackass of a police lieutenant and her where she says, why'd you have to call me down here? Couldn't you uh, identify the body uh, via dental record? And he's, oh, I'm, I'm having a bad day. Uh. You know... <laughs> Look, I, I, w I would, but uh, uh, there was no head. You know, he's a very inept police officer, as is the rest of the police crew there. And uh, you look over at the body, and it's just a pile of blood and flesh, but a hand is sticking out, and it's got your grandfather's ring on it. And through that, you would you identify the body. And uh, Alexandra, or Alex, as she's known to her friends, doesn't let it sit at that and she decides to investigate the case further and stays in town she goes to the mansion where her grandfather lived who he had inherited through you know his grandfather or something that's been in the family since colonial times and starts snooping around and this is when you gain control of your character there's not a lot of doors that are open to you at the beginning of the game uh, and there are a couple of puzzles that you can attempt to do but you won't be able to but the first puzzle that you're able to do is you uh, you read a book that uh, mentions a time at 3.33 and there's a clock at the beginning of the game as well that the, the hands are stuck at 3.33 and then you find another grandfather clock that you're able to move the, uh, the just the hands of the clocks. You just you put it on 3.33 and a secret passage opens leading you to your grandfather's study wherein you find a leather bound book which you later f figure out isn't leather at all it's human skin because of course it is and um, you open it up and when you open it you instantly uh, are berated with all this imagery and are granted the ability to read pages from the book whereas um, other people looking at these pages would just see it as gibberish or whatever um, now a bunch of pages are missing but there is one directly behind you on the wall and you can grab that and add it to the book and um, as soon as you read it you decide to read it then you're transported through time um, to play as that character because all the experiences of everyone that has ever handled this book are recorded in the book itself so that's that's kind of a nifty uh, mechanic in that um, as you learn things, find pages and learn of people that have held the book before, whatever they learned during their uh, time with the book, you also learn. So, you read the page and you get transported back to 26 BC in ancient Rome and you play as a commander named Augustus Pius. And he is commissioned with the task to find a relic that, um, I guess his commander is looking for some such and you get a brief cutscene which is all in latin and it's you know subtitled it's really cool that they uh, decided to do it in latin and subtitle it it's it, it's something not often done in uh, movies or games these days so that was kind of a nifty little thing 
anyway, you you walk upon these like very Stonehenge-esque type uh, formation, and it zaps you with uh, lightning, and you're transported to a kind of minor little dungeon, and and this is where you uh, learn the basics of how to fight in the game. Uh, up to this point, you haven't uh, fought any enemies, and. Uh, You'll fight varying enemies. They're all very simple and uh, easy to defeat. And you'll learn that you can target enemies and actually target their different body parts. You can target an arm uh, on either side or their head or torso. And if you target the head or arms, you're able to lop these off. Depending on what type of monster it is, it will. Uh, if it's a green monster, green attacks your sanity uh, more. Uh, it'll grow back a phantom limb that can then attack you and hit you for sanity points. Which, if your sanity goes completely to zero, I failed to mention, you will start to lose health. Um, so it, it will start damaging you physically. That's why you want a little bit of sanity. So that, that can be tough. Um, if it's a blue enemy and you attack them, they'll start like wailing like a high-pitched noise. And if any other blue enemies are in the vicinity, they'll all start doing it as well. And they give you a few seconds to kind of run out of range and then they explode. And this attacks both your health and your magic, I believe. And then the third type of enemy is purely physical and they're red. And if you lop off their arms or head, they'll simply regenerate them. And they'll grow back and just keep physically attacking you. And they're widely considered to be the toughest enemies in the game. Um, now when you do kill an enemy, you're given a prompt... Uh, finish it and you can uh, do some kind of finishing move on the enemy and in so doing you'll gain back a tiny little bit of your sanity so this is very much uh, uh, Lovecraftian in that uh, you know when when one of the characters kills or defeats uh, the the enemies you know they, they they gain a little bit of their sanity back and feel a little bit better about themselves you know so uh, very very cool um, Anyway, you're playing as a pious, and you go through this very uh, tutorial-type dungeon, and at the end of it, uh, you find uh, three artifacts. Now, one is red, one is green, and one is blue. And as I mentioned, these represent different enemies and also different gods in this game. Each god has, a, again, a very Lovecraftian-type name in that it's almost unpronounceable, and uh, I, I didn't write down their names, but uh, the red one is uh, like a physical, the blue is magical, and the green is uh, sanity. Now, depending on which artifact you pick here, it's actually not depicted in the game in any way, but um, it will decide for you how the rest of the game is going to play. It's widely regarded that the green one is the easiest, as uh, sanity monsters don't do a whole lot of damage to you after you lop an arm off or whatever, and so it's considered the easiest. The blue one is considered the next easiest, uh, and then the red is considered the hardest, but not overly so. I, I chose red um, just because, fuck it, why not? And I'm, I didn't have any problems at all, and I'd never played the game before, so uh, choose what you want. Basically what happens is Pius gets uh, corrupted by this god and becomes a willing like lackey for said god he's granted immortality although he looks like um kind of like skeletor in centurion armor he's kind of goofy looking but you'll meet him throughout the game he actually becomes one of the protagonists you know and uh so 
that's nifty. And and after you learn of uh, Pius's whatever, you know, life, I guess, end of life, um, you're transported back to Alexandria, are, are now uh, granted with the ability to find a secondary page, which is a, a, a common theme. Every time you um, go through a portion of the game as a, as a character throughout history, uh, you'll learn something that will enable you to unlock something within the mansion. Uh, I don't remember what exactly it was with Pius, but you learn of something, and through that, you're able to unlock something else, etc., etc. Every time you unlock something when you come back, yeah, it's, it's kind of neat like that. Uh, the mansion kind of serves as a safe place, at least through most of the game. Where enemies won't be attacking you whatsoever, and uh, you can kind of rest at ease. Uh, it is really creepy though, so, you know. But anyway, um, you learn whatever new ability it is or information it is to gain a new page for the Necronomicon, if you will. When you read it, it's about the life of Elia. Uh, she's a slave girl from 1150 AD in Cambodia. And we open up with a scene of her reading the Book of the Dead, so she already has it. And she's reading about the life of Pius, and she laments to herself, you know, she's like... Oh, I wish I could have an adventure, not something like in this silly storybook or whatever. And it's like, oh, honey, you shouldn't have asked for that. And she, uh, she's right in front of this damn temple of some kind, and she goes into it. You run through a series of puzzles, the only notable of which is there are these depictions on the wall um, of, like, evening or morning, or noon, or whatever, and there'll be three candles set in front of you, and you light them depend depending on what the depiction is on the wall. Uh, for instance, if it's morning, you would light the first one and extinguish the former two, and then it would open up a passageway. If it's evening, you extinguish all three, etc. Um, not too hard, and uh, you run through this, and um, you eventually come upon... Uh, Pius, and he is binding this god, uh, Mantrioch, I believe its name is, and he's cast some sort of spell through, you know, the power granted to him by his god to bind this other fourth god. We don't really know much about this god. It, it's uh, all mouths and eyes and just disgusting looking. And we don't know why Pius at this point is wanting to bind it, kill it. But he's doing so. When Elias walks upon him, he attempts, you know, I think he throws some enemies at her or whatever, and then leaves, and you defeat them, and then this spirit comes up to you and, and says, Hey, um, I have the heart of Mantrioch, and I need you to guard it from Pius, because if Pius gets this, he'll be able to kill Mantrioch, or Mantioch, or whatever the name of this god is. And he gives you this heart, which you hide within your own body, and then you become the guardian of Mantrioch, or Elias does. You don't really know much until later in the game of her fate. Uh, but as a recurring theme, uh, when you become a guardian in this game, it's not good. You're basically you're granted eternal life, but you're not gonna 
you're not going to like your life. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is true for just almost everybody in general. Almost never, uh, almost no one walks away unscathed uh, once they've handled the tome of eternal darkness. Um, anyway, you're transported back to Alexandria after that, and um, you're able to use the candle puzzle in the mansion to open up a desk drawer uh, and get another page. And this page contains the story of Anthony, who lived in 1814 uh, after death, France. He's kind of, oh gosh, I, the best way to describe him is he's got your standard like Squire-esque bowl haircut you would see from this time period. Uh, and he's, he's a squire to Charlemagne, and he receives a scroll that he's to deliver to Charlemagne right away. Well, uh, he's not the best of squires because he stops to read the damn thing. He's not supposed to, but he does. He stops to read it, and he's cursed with this, like, yellow energy, like, hits him in the face, and he, he says to himself, oh my god, they were go going to attempt to kill Charlemagne. I have to warn him. And so you take off to this church to warn Charlemagne. Uh, he's talking with a bishop or something about whatever, you know, Charlemagne does. You enter in this uh, monastery, and there's all these monks there, and initially you can't go into the uh, bishop's chambers to speak with him. Uh, so instead you go upstairs and it's, you know, a room with a statue in it. Uh, if you, uh, examine the statue, you'll notice it's Elia. And I believe there's one also of Pius at this point. You're like, oh, that's kind of creepy, whatever. You walk and the floor is just screaming mouths. Just, uh, very end of, uh, what dreams may come type of hell scenario. You're walking all over these faces of people, and there's a book at the end of it, and yep, it's the Tome of Eternal Darkness. And you pick it up and, uh, you know, learn the skills of everyone previous to you, which at this point I think is basically nothing. Anthony is the first character to learn magic, uh, and you, you learn magic in finding these um, runes and tablets and spells, although you don't need the actual spell if you just experiment around, if you have the rune and tablet. Uh, you can learn spells that just won't be named to you, but they'll still work. It's kind of a weird system. But anyway, through basically you just like find this shit, you pick up everything you find, it's you know an adventure game. You'll learn these spells and through his scenario, you learn the spell to uh, fix things. You're able to, if something is broken, you're able to fix it through this spell, which comes in handy with him because you find these stupid urns that you have to use to um, well, you fix them and you have to use them on a pressure plate once you refill them with water to open a door to get to a bishop. And um, when you get to the bishop, he calls you a fool or whatever for following him and he attacks you and, and you kill him. Now, Anthony's one of the worst characters in the game as far as fighting ability goes. And he, he sounds a lot like Crispin Glover from the movie Back to the Future. Uh, very just like annoying type of wiener voice there. You're very lucky in that he's been cursed because this curse uh, won't let him die. When he dies, he just gets right back up. Uh, unfortunately, over the course of time as you're walking through these different rooms uh, throughout, he'll slowly be turning into a zombie. After you kill the bishop, 
and you kill like this giant beast of a thing, I forget what they call them, uh, basically serves as a boss battle here, but later on in the game, uh, these are pretty commonplace. Uh, you, you finally, you know, you get the bishop's key off the bishop, and then you open up the door to talk with him, and there, or to talk with the monks and Charlemagne, and there's uh, these monks standing around a dead Charlemagne, and they tell you you're a fool and blah blah blah, and now you're cursed forever to guard whatever it is. And yep, so not a great fate for you either. And uh, you're zombie Anthony, and you uh, zip out of that scenario and go back to Alex again in the mansion. Well. Now we have the ability to cast a spell, and said spell is able to fix things. Well, we had a key that we found earlier in the mansion that was to the second floor of the mansion. And when we, when we attempted to use it, it broke in two, and now we're able to use this spell uh, to conveniently fix it so that we can get through that door. And uh, once you get through the door, you'll find a um, another scroll uh, just sitting around somewhere. And uh, this one, once read, will transport you to 565 Persia, and you'll play as the character Karim. And Karim looks uh, an awful lot like um, uh, Aladdin, in that he's wearing basically the exact same outfit, except he's also uh, donning a turban. And uh, in his intro scene, he's talking to this scantily clad woman, very comely. He's professing his love to her, and she's saying, you know, well, if you really love me, um, you would find for me this artifact and uh, bring it back to me, and then I would be yours forever. And the artifact in question, I believe, is the Tome of Darkness. He says, you know, I, I'll bring it to you, you know, and my lady or whatever the fuck Persian dude says. Yeah, he sets off on this quest. Uh, she, She's very obviously not the type of person person you want to fall in love with. Um, anyway, he sets out on the quest. He does find the Tome of Darkness, and then he goes through a, a small, uh, you know, dungeon. His scenario is actually very short compared to a lot of the others. When he gets to the end of, of his quest, he, he does learn a couple spells, too. I believe this is where you first learn to cast Heal, um, and you're able to heal your uh, sanity and your... Uh, your life a little bit, and that's good. Up until this point, you were relying on uh, your characters if you needed to be healed. Uh, Elia had an item that could heal you ten times. It was some kind of necklace. And Kareem, actually, he also started with an item that could uh, heal five times. And Anthony, of course, didn't need to be healed because he was basically undead. But anyway, pretty uneventful. Uh, you go through this very short scenario, and you get to the end of it, and Chica is waiting for you uh, in ghost form, and she she says, "Hey, kind of got tired of waiting for you to uh, to come back with the treasure, and I slept with the wrong guy, and he killed me. But I know now in death that we need to guard this artifact." And Cream says, "You know what the hell are you talking about, bitch? You know, basically he does though. He he says, "Hey." Why should I trust you at all? First of all, you're a ghost. You're not looking so good as a ghost. I liked you a lot better flesh and blood. Secondly, I spent all this time trying to find this thing for you. I finally find it, 
and now you're telling me that within a month or two, you lost hope of me coming back and you started sleeping around. I'm not really down for that. And she's like, oh, but we must do this or the world will forever be cast in darkness. And Kareem, like your average uh, just lovesick guy, says, uh, the things I do for love. And he um, embraces her and uh, we go on to the next area. Now, the next area is actually my personal favorite. Um, I, I, I love it. A lot of people don't like this area for one reason or another. I, I don't know. Um, you play as uh, Maximilian in 1760 in the very mansion that Alexandra is in. And uh, Maximilian is like the great-great-great-grandfather of your grandfather. And uh, he's a Royvus. But he's this uh, powdered wig donning, uh, overweight doctor. And he feels that something is afoot within his own home. And uh, he, he begins, you know, looking around for whatever's going on. Excuse me, I need a drink. Uh, he's pretty cool. It takes place, as I said, in colonial times. And as such, uh, he starts out with a flintlock pistol, which is a very slow-to-use weapon and it, it has one shot and you have to reload and reloading is kind of shit you will find a, a secondary pistol so that you can carry two at a time that's i guess a little better eventually you will find a saber and that's pretty much what i use throughout his uh his scenario and as much as i liked it there's not a whole lot to say about it he's he's running through um his own mansion, and you'll notice as you're running through that there are just servants all over this motherfucker, and they're all cleaning the walls and, and the floors and everything else. And uh, you'll learn through text in, in, in game that uh, because of the proximity to this evil, the house is constantly needing to be cleaned because it's like always grimy uh, from said evil, and that's, that's pretty cool. And you'll see things like you see a, an outhouse and uh, Maximilian remarks on how, uh, you know, innovative and what a wonderful time to live in that you can uh, crap inside the house. Okay. And uh, because he's a doctor, he has this very unique ability when enemies die, he can autopsy them. And it creates a very detailed sketch of the enemy and kind of like tells you a little bit about what weakness that enemy might have, if any. And, and that's really cool, but it serves no, no function in the game other than, you know, kind of like a brief uh, enemy book that you can do. And I don't know. I, I liked it. I thought that was pretty nifty. You learn the, uh, the shield spell at this point, and uh, you go throughout the house, um, you know, trying to figure things out. Eventually, uh, the monsters start showing up. Uh, this is the first time that you'll uh, encounter a bone... Bone Stealer, I think they're called. They're these enemies that will uh, jump inside uh, a body, a human body, and they control it with the human inhabitant kind of his his or her will being pushed to the back of the mind. So they're still very much aware of what's going on, and this thing is living inside them, and that's kind of creepy. And you can, uh, once you become found out, uh, some of your servants turn on you and once, you know, they'll just start attacking you and once you attack them, reveal themselves to be a bone shredder or whatever. And depending on the scenario you, you picked, they're either very difficult or very, very easy. It's my understanding that in the green scenario, uh, they don't have a head. 
which is annoying because in any of the other scenarios, if you cut off their head, they instantly die. I chose red, so these, these guys weren't too tough to me. Uh, they're pretty quick, though, and, you know, other than that, no, nothing really of note. You finally, um, you decide, you know, you learn that your home is built on top of, like, these ancient burial ground, and uh, some of the evil that's going on with, with it and what have you. Of course, you do find the Tome of Eternal Darkness, but um, that's pretty much a given. And, uh, well, you, you make your way outside of the house, and um, there's this enemy that you haven't encountered before, and they're called Guardians, and it looks like two butts sewn together, or like a weird spider-type thing, and it's casting this spell shield around it, and um, it will summon zombies to attack you. I uh, I just summoned a shield around me and just kept shooting it with a flintlock pistols. And eventually, it was actually a very long battle, but not a difficult one, uh, I killed it. And when you kill it, you know, rightfully so, I guess, it, it shows Maximilian. And it's a close-up of his face, and he doesn't have his powdered wig on anymore. And he's got the look of a raving lunatic, and he, he yells out it. souls and fevered thoughts, reeking of fetter and decay, thinking me mad with delirium. <laughs> Fools cast away their hopes of salvation, but locking me in this damned asylum. May the rats eat your eyes! I am now lost to your cause! The darkness comes! It will damn us all! But he does return as a ghost to uh, to help you here and there throughout the game. So, yeah, once again, uh, not met with an entirely uh, good end. Uh, most most people that handle this uh, this book do not. Anyway, um, from there we uh, do whatever MacGuffin it is to unlock another page. After you know we get sent back to Alexandria in the mansion. And this time, we read one that is a little more recent, uh, 1983, and it also takes place in Cambodia. Uh, in fact, the same temple that Elia was at. Yeah, we play the role of Edwin Lindsay, who is basically Indiana Jones. You'll notice right away similarities to uh, Dr. Jones, and that this guy is an archaeologist, and he, he wears an archaeologist hat, but other than that, he's basically indie and uh you're leading this guy that looks a lot like uh the guy from the second indiana jones film with the glasses and dr jones you know died of face melting and all that stuff looks a lot like that guy and um he's thanking you uh bad guy thanking dr Lindsay for leading him to this temple that uh he's been searching for 
and Lindsay was able to find it through the use of a uh, satellite something. As soon as you enter the temple, the guy says, uh, I thank you for your services, but they are now no longer needed. And he pulls a gun on Lindsay, but Lindsay very athletically uh, elbows him in the face and pulls his own gun and then uh, shoots him, but the guy doesn't die because it's actually Pius in disguise. Now, Pius is in disguise throughout most of these scenarios, and the only people that can actually see his true form are chosen ones, uh, which Lindsay is, and as soon as he shoots him, uh, he's able to see him for what he is, and he changes back to his skeletal centurion form. He he says, uh, kill this fool at once, and he summons uh, this new creature to us, which is... It looks kind of like those things from the Beastmaster, which if you haven't seen that, I guess that's a bad reference. But it's got these giant bat wings that it'll cover itself in, and then a stinger on it like a scorpion, only the top of the stinger is actually like the top of a scythe. And when it gets near you, it'll open up its wings as though it's going to wrap you in them, and it will try and sting you and immobilize you. Uh, to cast spells. Well, when it opens up its wings, you're able to attack it. Now, Lindsay, uh, thankfully, starts out with a uh, automatic pistol with 48 rounds and a shotgun with, like, 30 rounds or whatever. He also has a... Uh, I can't remember what they call it. Kukuri, I think? Which is basically like a uh, curved machete. And he has a archaeological brush or an archaeologist's brush or something which is actually used quite a bit but kind of unnecessary uh we'll get to that you defeat this guy and then uh of course Lindsay, being the badass adventurer that he is um and and i should mention here i probably should have mentioned it before that uh each character has their own unique um, stats in that some of them will have a higher sanity rating or be able to run a longer period of time or um, have a higher magic rating than others etc like when we played as Maximilian before he was very slow and easy to win because he's kind of a bigger guy but um, he had a pretty high like sanity you know at being a doctor like you would and then you've got uh, guys like this uh, Edwin Lindsay that you know he's got all around pretty decent stats his magic's a bit low but you know whatever and and so on and so forth like each character is uh unique in that way and Lindsay's actually super athletic he can run for days and uh so he he's he's one of the better characters you'll play as and you go through um this temple and it's the same temple that you played through earlier as Elia although there are new areas to explore now and, you know, it's pretty pretty much the same thing we've been through before, a little bit bigger, and there is a little hidden section in here where you can get the Rune of Mantioch, which uh, I should explain, I guess I'll explain here, there are three different gods, as I mentioned in the beginning, that you can choose from to depict your path. Well, you also get these uh, runes of power, and depending on which god you use, uh, it will cause a different effect, like if you use the physical god with uh, the healing ability, then you will heal your physical stanima. But if you use, you know, the green god, it'll heal your uh, sanity meter and, and so on. Uh, healing your magic meter only heals it back the same amount that you use to cast a spell, so that's kind of funny. But um, 
so on and so forth. And each god actually is a paper, rock, scissors of each other where the, the green god defeats the, uh, um, the blue and the blue defeats the red and the red defeats the green. And so it's this circle of life type of thing. If you uh, cast enchant weapon or you cast a shield's damage spell or something, um, you'll do a lot more damage if you cast a spell that is opposite of whatever enemy is attacking you. So I found myself uh, casting a lot of uh, blue spells initially because I played the red scenario. Um, anyway, there's a fourth god, and it's the god that was being bound earlier in Elia's um, scenario, uh, Mantioch. And you can learn uh, in this area the ability to summon uh, monsters. And one of the monsters you can summon uh, is this little thing called the Trapper, which I probably should have talked about earlier as well. And it's just like this little tiny enemy that attacks based on sound. And when it attacks you, it sends you to just like a little tiny mini area that you have to get through to get back to the main game. And you can summon one of these, control it. There's this area you see that you examine it says, there's a hole here that a small dog could fit through. Well, you summon the Trapper and you can walk through said hole and unlock this panel that holds the rune of Mantioch. And Mantioch is good against all the other three gods. And it, if you use it on healing, it'll heal all three. And if, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's by far the best rune. So it's kind of like paper, rock, scissors, dynamite. If you remember playing that as a kid or as we always, paper, rock, scissors, spawn cape, which is probably a dated reference, but whatever. So you, you find your rune spawn cape, which is uh, completely optional. And uh, you do have, as I said, an archaeologist's brush, which you can use to sweep aside dust or cobwebs, which is something that you could literally use um, any item to do or like you should be able to. Like this is something he could have done with his hat or his shirt or his hand. But in order to do it, you have to use a stupid brush, whatever. And you'll find items underneath there as well. And you get to the end of this, you're in the same room that... Uh, Elia's got to at the end where you see Mantioch all uh, bound up and everything and what's his name? Pius shows back up and he says we'll kill him and for real this time and he summons uh, two of those stinger monsters against you and uh, I was preparing for a pretty tough battle because those guys are kind of tough but the eyes of this statue behind you light up and shoot them and Pius makes a hasty retreat with I'll get you next time Batman kind of thing you run over to the door that just opened up for you and you walk back there and uh, there's Elias and she's been sitting there for a millennia, whatever. Uh, I guess, let's see, 1150 AD to 1983. So not quite, but quite some time. She doesn't look too hot as you wouldn't after that long. She says something like, you know, they searched for me for years. I've, they never thought to check within my own body for the heart of Mantioch and uh, whatever. She hands you the heart and tells you to uh, guard it well or else the world will be cast in eternal darkness. So uh, Edwin is the first character that doesn't immediately uh, die or have a tragic ending. Um, and he takes the heart and he brings it to 
uh, Edward Robus, your your grandfather, and you get a cutscene of him handing it over to Edward, and Edward putting it in his library behind a very specific book that was actually written by Edwin. Kind of kind of nifty there. Anyway, he um, finishes his chapter, and then you go back to Alexandria, and of course now you have the knowledge that this heart is hidden in uh, in the bookshelf there, and you go and retrieve it. And I believe this enables you to go to uh, another area. Um, you get another page, and the page is for Paul Luther. And this takes place in 1485 France. And um, Paul's, Paul's one of my favorite scenarios, too, despite him not being a very good character. Paul's a monk, and he's come to visit... Uh, the monastery that we previously vis- visited, um, you know, some centuries before with uh, Anthony to uh, view the hand of Jude. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Start to make it better. Hey, Jude, don't be afraid. You were made to go out and get her. The minute you let her under your skin, then you begin to make it better. Um, religious artifact said to be kept there and when he gets there uh, he's greeted by this guy monk uh, bishop I'm not sure what um, that looks a lot like Emperor Palpatine a very creepy pallid complexion uh, hidden behind uh, you know like a monk's robes and uh, just obviously evil as shit and then you're given free reign of the bottom portion of the monastery but one of the first things you'll find is a murdered body in the cathedral and of course they accuse you of having killed it even though you haven't uh, anything to do with that and uh, you're locked away and you're sitting there contemplating this and uh, this guy shows up um, and he's the uh, custodian uh, the keeper of the um, the church itself he takes care of all the menial tasks and whatever and he says hey you know I'm probably the only sane person here these monks here they're all evil the body you found was that of brother Andrew and uh, he was the only uh, monk here that I felt had any faith left everyone else is uh, is just a faker and 
he tells you to meet him at the bell tower and he'll help you further and for you to find evidence against these blasphemers. Yeah, then you're given free reign of the, the church and you run throughout and you find, uh, you know, various things. You find a, uh, an, an additional rune that allows you to cast stronger versions of the spells you're already casting. Um, you find some sheet music, which unlocks a puzzle for you, which is important because you'll use that later. It's the MacGuffin you use to, uh, to unlock the, the next level once you get back. But uh, anyway, you're playing as this monk, and uh, his health is unreasonably low, his sanity is low, his magic is relatively high, and he's weak as shit. He's still kind of fun to play as. Uh, you do eventually in the course of his investigation, unlock a room that contains poor Anthony, who is still alive and still guarding this area. And you can hear him say, Charlemagne, when he gets up. And you have to kill him twice, because uh, he gets up after you kill him the first time. And uh, you can take his sword and whatever rune or whatever MacGuffin thing it is he's carrying. Yeah, that's about it. You get a cutscene where it shows uh, Pius um, summoning this guardian, the Black Guardian, to uh, protect this one given area. And it's this huge monstrosity, uh, and it looks like it's going to be really tough to beat kind of thing. And as you make your way through the, uh, the church, uh, eventually uh, your custodian friend is murdered, which is a bummer. Now you're basically all alone in this church with no one to help you. You get to this area where the, the guardian was summoned and you get a cutscene uh, where Pius says not to kill him. He'll deal with you in his own way and the guardian just smashes you into this very graphic just smear on the floor and he says I'll do things my own way, idiot. Um, you don't tell me what to do kind of thing and yeah. That's the end of, uh, of, of poor uh, Paul Luther's story. Now, there are, oh, let me see. How many more characters? You got Roberto, Roberto Bianchi, Peter Jacob, and then you eventually play as uh, your grandfather Edward Rovis and um, Michael Edwards. Um, so there are a number of characters I haven't mentioned yet. And I won't, because I don't want to spoil every little damn thing about the game. I'm, uh, if you've been listening to me for any length of time, you know that I won't go completely through a game. Uh, typically, sometimes I do, uh, but I don't like to spoil the entirety of the game for you. I will say, however, uh, this game is very good. It's got a, in my opinion, great ending. Now, to get the true ending, you have to play through this game at least three times. Uh, one under uh, each god, and then you'll get the true ending. Um, that's something I'm not going to do. Uh, that's something I will definitely YouTube. Um, I haven't yet, but I will. And, uh, yeah, that's... Let's see, that's about all I really want to say about the game. Now, uh, as I said, this is a GameCube exclusive, and it's, to my knowledge, the only M-rated Nintendo-produced game. There may be another one that was released after this, but I believe this was definitely the first. And uh, it's just an oddity all around. It just seems like something that would never have been made for Nintendo. I don't know, it's... I don't know what to say about it other than uh, it's a great game. It does have a little bit of clunkiness as far as uh, controls are concerned. Uh, the targeting system is a little wonky. Uh, I, 
I like I would like just an easy like switch between enemies type of thing where you know you hold down a button to target and then maybe you press like the directional pad one way or the other to switch between but the way they make you do it is you have to let off the targeting and then like kind of move around the room a little bit and it'll target whatever's nearest you and that, that can be pretty annoying in a room full of enemies um other than that though it, it's great uh i like the fact that uh Melee weapons are much more useful than ranged. Ranged weapons are typically used on enemies you just don't want to get close to, of which there aren't too many of those. And then uh, the trappers, which, uh, as I mentioned before, they're these little guys the size of a dog that'll send you to these like little annoying areas that you can get through pretty quickly um, to get back to the main game, and there's really no purpose in them other than to annoy you. You can either sneak past these guys because they have no sight, or you can uh, shoot them with a long-range weapon, and every character in the game has some form of long-range. Um, but that's about it. Uh, I don't have much else to say about the game. I will say uh, it is definitely worth it. Now, this game has jumped between 30 and $50 on the GameCube. I think I picked mine up for about 20 but that was some time ago. Um, if you don't own this game and you own a GameCube, I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, this is one of the very, very few reasons to own a GameCube because there's not that many exclusives on the, the Cube that are really worth owning. Uh, most of their good titles can be found elsewhere, either on the Wii or uh, other competing systems. Yeah, I just, I don't know why you don't already own this. Go out and buy it. If you're a survival horror fan, this is one you gotta check out. You know, it's, it's 13 years old now, but it still looks great. It's unlike anything else you'll ever experience. Um, I don't know that it will actually terrify you. Uh, it didn't me. There were areas that made me kind of like, ooh, a little nervous. Uh, in particular, the infamous infamous uh, bathtub scene. There's a point in the game where you can search a bathtub and you're greeted with an image of your own suicide, of you laying pallid in this uh, pool of your own blood. Uh, that was a little bit, like, eh, you know, disturbing, but not overly so. Uh, it is still a good game and, and scary in parts, but it's not a Silent Hill or a Resident Evil levels of uh, scary. But, man, just a good game. If I had to give it a number rating, it'd be like a 9.5 out of 10, you know. Um, just tremendously good. You should own it. Anyway, that's about it, guys. Um... If you need to contact me, you can send me an email at simonbelmont at outlook.com. That's Simon, not Simon. Um, you can check me out at Twitter at RetroKel, K-H-E-L. Check out our friends at uh, the RPG Show and definitely check out the Retro RPG, which is the part of the network I'm on. Um, you're already listening to them, I'm sure, if you're listening to me. Thanks, guys. Uh, keep sending any kind of emails and stuff. I haven't really gotten a whole lot from you guys uh, within the past month. Uh, just mainly just people wishing me well and saying I'm doing a good job, which I do appreciate. And uh, anyway, that's about it. And uh, we'll see you next time.